I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to the West Block Podcast. People tell me I'm different from the other leaders, and I am. I don't work for the wealthy and well-connected. I don't think government should be run for their benefit, like it has for decades. I believe that government should work for all of us. I have a plan to lower the cost of living, to make life more affordable, to leave more money in the pockets of Canadians, for their kids, for themselves, or for their aging parents. Because it's time for you to get ahead. I got into politics to help people. In October, we've got a choice to make. Keep moving forward and build on the progress we've made, or go back to the politics of the Harper years. I am for moving forward for everyone. You just heard some recent online campaign ads by NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer, and Liberal leader Justin Trudeau. In just over six weeks, Canadians will decide who will be the next Prime Minister of Canada. Right now, the race is too close to call, and the key battlegrounds will come down to the lower mainland of B.C. and the greater Toronto area. To get a majority, a party needs to win 170 seats. Anything less is a minority, which means working across party lines. So where do the parties stand right now as we look to October 21st? Joining me now from Toronto is Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos, a public opinion research firm. Daryl, this is the Super Bowl of politics heading into a federal election campaign. What's the end zone here in terms of where people are going to be fighting this election geographically across Canada? Well, geographically, there's a few places that are going to be critical, none more critical than where I'm standing today, which is pretty close to the suburbs of Toronto. So the donut of seats, what we usually call the 905, which is the uh, exchange code for the telephone, is the place where we see uh, the most potential for movement one way or the other, mainly between the Liberals and the Conservatives. And just so people can understand, there's 78 seats in the province of Quebec. There's almost 70 in the GTA, depending on how you add it up. This place is going to be critical to who wins. So those are the key battlegrounds. What are the big issues that voters are looking for? Well, you're going to see the, uh, the, uh, the federal Liberal Party really go after a couple of things. One of them is going to be, obviously, um, the disagreement agreement with the values of the Conservative Party. And to say to anybody who's on the progressive side of the agenda that they really have to vote for the Liberal Party in order to stop Andrew Scheer and his Conservatives from coming into power and really uh, changing things in the country in a way that they wouldn't like. The Conservatives are going to be arguing on the other side about affordability. And they're going to be talking about uh, putting uh, money back in taxpayers' uh, pockets, about changing around the economy, about really challenging uh, whether or not the government is working on behalf of uh, particularly middle-class Canadians. Uh, the Green and the NDP are all going to be attacking Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party, mostly from the left, to talk about how he's uh, not really kept his commitments when it comes to things, for example, like uh, income inequality, but also in particular and specifically uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline and anything that has to do with climate change. At the end of the day, what moves votes for people? Is it issues or is it how they feel? Well, in this, in this uh, day and age, it really comes down to the leaders of the parties, for the most part, and whether or not they're perceived as being credible, and then whether or not they perceive a connection, whether or not they feel that this person is actually going to be able to uh, deliver a government that's going to make a difference in the day-to-day -day lives of Canadians. Uh, Justin Trudeau was able to make that commitment in the last election campaign and was uh, rewarded with a majority government as a result of it. The question this time around is, who can steal that? Looking right now at the numbers, is there someone whose election this is to win or lose? I know the Liberals and the Conservatives are awfully close uh, at this point in the polls, anyhow. 
Yeah, so uh, you would expect that the incumbent would be in a better position to win, particularly since we've seen the spending spree uh, from uh, uh, probably a couple of months ago to the call of the election, in which uh, they've really got out there and tried to position themselves strongly through public spending uh, with the public. But also, governments invariably get a lot more coverage than the opposition parties do coming up to the election campaign. They should be in a really strong position, and they're not. So it really is anybody's call going into this. Uh, as we move past the call of the election, uh, the other parties are going to start getting more coverage, and that's when we're potentially going to start seeing some of the numbers move around. Daryl, one of the questions that pollsters face now, especially with recent elections, is whether or not their polling is credible. Obviously, six weeks out, we don't know what's going to happen, but do you think pollsters are doing a better job of figuring out what people really think and how they're going to vote? Well, I think some of us are really putting a, a serious effort into trying to do a better job. But I will say, you know, the record of polling around the world, and even in, in Canada specifically, uh, has actually been pretty good over the years. I mean, it's been more challenging of late, but it's been pretty good. And, and the truth is, there's been no alternative that's been created that does a better job. So I think it's incumbent upon the pollsters to really go out there and listen to what Canadians are saying, to construct polls that do a good job of capturing their opinions, and to reflect that back in, uh, in the reporting that we do on the campaign. Daryl will be speaking to you, I'm sure, again throughout this campaign. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. It's that time. Campaign slogans, mantras that you will hear again and again and again on ads, on TV, in your social media feeds, or in signs planted in your neighbor's front yards. Here are some of the rallying cries you're going to hear from the parties going forward. Choose forward. You're also going to hear it's time for you to get ahead or in it for you. Different parties, but similar jingles. But will these slogans and their party platforms resonate with voters? Here to answer those questions with us is our strategist panel, who we're going to be introducing you to for the first time, but they'll be joining us throughout the election. They're plugged into the campaigns, and they will be with us right until October 21st. For the NDP, we have Anne McGrath. For the Conservatives, Fred Delory, and in Toronto, Richard Mahoney for the Liberals. Welcome, all of you. Great to be here. Hello, Mercedes. Let's start out by doing a little bit of a, a round robin on what the campaigns are really going to be trying to push. What does the NDP, who's been struggling to this point, uh, Anne, need to do to achieve takeoff in this campaign? Well, I think the most important thing is that uh, people will be getting their first impression, in many ways, getting their first impression of the leader, Jagmeet Singh. He's been leader for less than two years now. This is his first federal campaign as leader, and he has an opportunity here to introduce himself to Canadians as a fresh new face, as someone who is, as he says, not like the others, uh, someone who's in it for them, uh, as, as per the slogan, um, and who has ideas that will help uh, make people's lives better, things like pharmacare expanding our health care system, housing, uh, improvements to telecommunications, um, uh, climate change action, uh, you know, electoral reform, those sorts of things. So I think he's going to be um, really presenting himself to Canadians, and I think that uh, he does go in with some challenges that I think uh, people have been spending a lot of time talking about, and in some ways that provides an opportunity to uh, have people take a look at him and go, he's much more than we thought. Fred, looking ahead to the Conservative campaign, what does Andrew Scheer need to achieve and what's the strategy? Well, the main message that we're pushing, of course, is that it's uh, it's time to get ahead uh, and we're the party to do that. Our message is, is very clear. Our, our platform will, uh, will show that uh, about tax cuts and uh, helping families and people. And contrasting, of course, with the Liberals about how they're, they're clearly, uh, Canadians aren't getting ahead with them. We're seeing uh, out of control spending, we're seeing uh, massive tax increases and, of course, 
we're seeing the Liberals help their friends by uh, trying to, well, breaking the law to help uh, help them avoid uh, criminal prosecution. Uh, so we need to contrast that and show that we're going to be here to help uh, help people and families. Richard, the incumbent Liberals, you always have a bit of an advantage as an incumbent, but you also have to defend against all those opposition attacks and defend your record. Those who are whispering in Justin Trudeau's ear, what advice are they giving him? Well, you're right, Mercedes. Uh, election campaign kind of, there is an advantage of incumbency, but the election campaign itself kind of evens it all out because all, all the leaders will get equal coverage and, and uh, that advantage doesn't really happen dur you know, during the course of government. Usually the prime minister is in people's thoughts and minds a lot more. Um, I think it's a really a combination of two things. One, the country's made a lot of progress in the last four years. Over a million jobs created. Nine out of the 10 Canadians have uh, had their tax load reduced, an average of at least $2,000. Um, uh, housing starts are up. The economy is in good shape. Uh, but we want to keep on moving forward as a country. And what Mr. Trudeau is going to be doing during the campaign is not only defending uh, the attacks from the other folks, as you indicated, but also putting forward a program about how we can build on some of the progress that he's made uh, over the last four years. One of the things that we haven't seen a lot of from any of the parties is really clear platform positions. And we saw this in the Ontario election too. Doug Ford won without putting forward a really clear policy platform. Is this an election, Anne, that you think is mostly going to be ad hominem attacks, fights on Twitter, issues about candidates, or are people actually going to see each party put out a serious issue-oriented platform for them to choose from? I truly hope so. Um, I hope that it is not just a series of attacks and, and Twitter wars and those kinds of things. I hope it is a, a campaign that deals with substantive issues because there are big issues face facing the country and Canadians have a lot of anxieties about things like climate change and the economy. Um, so I, I hope it is serious in that way and to that end the NDP this time I think uh, was right in putting out a very detailed platform early in the camp before the campaign even starts. It was put out a couple of months ago and it is the NDP platform for this campaign. Um, you know there's always an argument about when, when to put a camp when to put a platform out and so I think it's risky to put it out early because uh, uh, the argument then is that you know you're not going to get followed as much or get as much ink during the campaign but I think that people want to know what their elected leaders are promising and what they're going to do. Fred are we going to see detailed platforms and if so when? Uh, Timing-wise, I'm not sure, but there will absolutely be a, uh, a platform out there for the Conservatives. They will uh, be pushing their message on what the, what the program will be. Uh, Timing is always difficult to pick uh, during a campaign when to do that. There's a, a lot that goes into that, um, and there will be a lot of thought. And uh, when we see it, I'm sure Canadians will be quite impressed with it. Richard, I remember the detailed red books that we used to see. Now things have changed and how campaigns operate have changed. Talk to us a little bit about how a campaign rolls out now and how politicians try to connect to voters, especially in this age of social media and some micro-targeting, frankly, when you're looking at areas where there's specific seats they want to win. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the world of campaigns has changed from the days of sort of, you know, backroom strategists coming up with ideas they think will work. Now things are much more data-driven. The parties have lots of ways to reach uh, voters um, individually, really, in many, many ways across the board in terms of all demographics. Um, so a modern campaign will do all that, but it doesn't, to back to your previous question, it doesn't take the obligation off the parties to set out where they're going to go, whether it's on issues like climate change, whether it's on issues about helping people get by, about, you know, growing the economy and so forth. So th they'll be using all the traditional methods, including uh, television broadcast news, but they'll be using social media in a, in a very targeted way that will allow people to see more of the things that they want 
from, from the Liberals in particular, uh, but the other parties too, I imagine. Uh, it, more of the issues that affect them directly, the things that will make them turn out to vote. Um, and hopefully that results in more people actually voting in this election, not fewer. Now, one of the concerns, Richard, has been that the party leaders, and in particular Mr. Trudeau, will try to uh, avoid things like the debates. They'll try to avoid engaging directly. They're going to try to go through social media, and that's something the Conservatives have tried extensively, both federally and provincially here in Ontario, to circumvent. Why do you think it is that party leaders don't want to engage traditionally anymore? Is it to avoid being challenged in situations like a debate where there's a risk? I mean, I think I think party leaders do sometimes fall into that trap, Mercedes. But I, I don't think that's a fair uh, uh, criticism of Mr. Trudeau. He's probably been more accessible, done more town halls, more huge at-risk sort of open televised things where people can ask him any question you want than any other prime minister that I can remember. Um, and uh, and and so uh, you know, that's that is a, a pretty effective way of gauging. You'll probably see a fair bit of that during the campaign. And then, of course, as you say, there will be uh, debates with the other uh, the other four leaders um, that are officially sanctioned by the debate commission I think, though, I think though that uh, you know I mean I, I take Richard's point for sure about the accessibility in the town halls and things like that but an election campaign is a period where people are actually really paying attention to federal politics in a way that doesn't happen so much in between in between campaigns so the debates are very very important and I think the danger here is that uh, is that people won't remember that he did those town halls what they will remember is that he uh, declined to do some of the national televised debates that are going to happen during this campaign and the big risk for him I believe is that it runs counter to brand because he has presented himself in the last campaign and since then as being different as being accessible and open and approachable and all of those kinds of things and so the question people will have is why is he being so controlling all of a sudden? Why is he uh, hiding from uh, hiding from debates that are organized that took place in the last campaign that he participated in in the last campaign, and now all of a sudden he doesn't want to? Now, Fred, uh, Stephen Harper didn't participate in all the debates either. You guys have been criticizing Justin Trudeau, but Stephen Harper avoided it. Justin Trudeau criticized Stephen Harper for that, and now he's doing it. Uh, will we see more clarity from Mr. Scheer on some of the key issues that we've seen raised around uh, gay marriage, around abortion, that seem to really be sticking for him? Well, just on the debate side first, uh, Harp, Mr. Harper did five debates in the last leadership, uh, and I think uh, it, it's, it's to answer Anne's question, it's, it's very clear why Mr. Trudeau's not doing the, the debates. Uh, he, he, he has, he's not proud of his record. Uh, he's running from it, and he's going to be nervous to go up against the other leaders and defend that. Uh, to your question, um, uh, Mercedes, uh, Mr. Mr. Shear has answered those questions. Uh, for the last uh, 40 years, uh, this type of stuff comes up. Uh, no conservative government's touching this stuff. Uh, it, it's, we've moved on from it. There's so many other issues to be addressing that we are looking at doing that are, uh, that's going to be very good for okay. Canadians. We have to wrap it up there and we'll certainly be talking about what all of those issues are as they unroll and of course the unexpected up and downs that always happen during campaigns. Thank you very much to our strats for joining us and we'll see you throughout this campaign. Thanks a lot. Manitobans are set to cast their ballots on Tuesday in their provincial election. PC leader Brian Pallister called an early election because he says the province is changing in big ways and he wants voters to have a say on those changes. Will the roll of the dice give the premier a second mandate and how might that affect the federal election? Joining us now to talk about all of that from Winnipeg is Curtis Brown, principal pollster with Probe Research, and here in studio, our very own chief political correspondent, 
David Aiken. Curtis, I'd like to start with you. Uh, the premier at the time called the election early, now running as the PC leader and appears to be the front runner. Did that early election call hurt him in any way, or does it seem so far to have been something that isn't turning voters off? No, it's been very, uh, we've done polling for the last few years that, and we've really found that the uh, support for Brian Pallister and the Progressive Conservatives has been very consistent. Uh, we, we asked Manitobans at one point about how they felt about an early election call, and while some people uh, expressed the view that it wasn't a good thing, uh, for the most part, it really appears, and has really been borne out in a lot of the research that we've been doing recently, that th there isn't any kind of an impact. The, the Progressive Conservatives really seem to be in a strong position heading into Tuesday. What have been the main issues dominating the election campaign so far? Uh, so far, it's been healthcare, healthcare, and healthcare. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about healthcare. The NDP has really tried to make the emphasis on that issue. Uh, the uh, progressive conservatives over the last couple of years have uh, done some work to uh, uh, make some changes to the healthcare system, particularly in Winnipeg, by uh, closing some uh, uh, emergency rooms in suburban Winnipeg uh, neighborhoods. And uh, some of those changes are taking effect uh, right now. Uh, so that's something that a lot of people have been concerned about. I mean, it is the thing that the provincial government spends almost half its budget on, so that's been a big thing. But beyond that, uh, the big issues, and these are the things that the Conservatives really seem to be emphasizing, are the economy, jobs, affordability, uh, taxes, uh, those, those sorts of things really seem to be the, the big issues that uh, people are, are thinking about when it comes to the provincial election. David, health care is something we expect to pop up in the federal election as well. Why, if the NDP are hammering on it so hard, are they not getting traction and you still have Brian Pallister in the lead? Well, I think the reason, one of the, there's a lot of good reasons the NDP are hammering on health care, and, uh, and Curtis is right. Wab Canoe, the NDP leader, you know, in the debate, the one debate in this campaign, he got asked, I think, about an economy question, and he pivoted right away to talk about health care. In some of the ridings in north and east Winnipeg that uh, Canoe and the NDP need to get back if they have any form of hope of winning government, those are where the hospitals are that uh, the ER has closed. Um, you know, what's the traditional sort of NDP platform? Get nurses on your side. What did Wab Canoe say last week? He's going to hire a lot more nurses and mandatory overtime. A lot of traditionally, I think, popular things for conservatives. And then Pallister, you know, he's been sort of playing defense on uh, on this issue because some of these reforms he's initiative have been um, controversial to say the least. But what I find interesting, and I see some parallels to the federal election we're about to get into, is Pallister wants Wab Canoe, the NDP leader now, to defend Greg Selinger's record, the previous NDP government. So in other words, Pallister's kind of campaigning again against Selinger and the NDP from 2012-2016. And of course, what have we seen from Justin Trudeau? Oh, it's Stephen Harper's ready to come back, and he wants Andrew Scheer to answer for Stephen Harper's time. That's what incumbents do, I guess, when they're trying to defend or trying to find some reason to attack, and that's what we're seeing in Manitoba. Now, there's a little bit of a federal-provincial issue here that, that spans the two campaigns, and that's debates. Mm -hmm. um, we know that PC leader Brian Pallister only took part in one of the three possible debates. Justin Trudeau saying that uh, he's going to take place in the consortium debates, but not so much interested in those other debates. Curtis, did that hurt Brian Pallister, or did it just kind of bounce off him that he didn't participate in this debate? The, pardon me, the other debates. We, we don't think so. We, we don't see it. it. It is interesting because that hasn't happened in a provincial election. Normally, the leaders do participate in more than just the televised debate, and, they, and some of these ones organized by different uh, organizations. But there's been a very, um, uh, the, it ties into a broader strategy, I think, by the PCs. They, a lot of the other smaller community debates that are organized by different organizations, they haven't necessarily sent Brian Pallister, they haven't sent even their candidates to a lot of them. And 
We found that, you know, it's interesting, even though the progressive conservatives do have a lot of support, uh, Ryan Pallister's negatives are actually very high, and I think there's been a very deliberate strategy to keep him out of the line of fire, to just, again, be as defensive as possible and, and make it so there isn't going to be a gaffe or a snub and, uh, or, or something like that that, uh, that ends up uh, going wrong in those debates and trying to keep him, uh, uh, keep him out of those situations as much as possible. One thing I was going to say, Curtis, too, just thinking about your polling that was out last week, and, and uh, Curtis found, I think, PCs were up with about an 11-point lead across the province, tighter, uh, tighter in Winnipeg. Uh, but one of the things that struck me as well when I was reading your poll, Curtis, was that th this issue of the health care, how many Manitobans, uh, far and away, this is the top issue for them as they're thinking about things. Okay, so the NDP have been driving the health care discussion. And Pallister has been often coming back to, let's get rid of the deficit, let's balance budgets. What happened in 2015 federally? We saw the one party, the Trudeau Liberals, that said, ah, I don't mind running deficits if it means more money for government services. And though Wabkanoo and the NDP do have a plan to somehow get to balance, they're not so focused on that. Pallister's very much focused on the, get your fiscal house in order. Even though Pallister's got that 11-point lead, I wonder mm -hmm. if things might move if people do make the decision on, yeah, health care is more important than balancing the budget, and Canoe's talking more about that. That, I think, is the only hope the NDP have to close that 11-point gap, and even then, I think it's going to be kind of tough. David, what do yeah. you see as the interplay, if any, between the Manitoba election results and the federal election as we're about six weeks out now from E-Day across the nation? Listen, provincially and federally, Manitoba's going to be going blue, except for the northern ridings where federally Nikki Ashton is. And I think fed, uh, provincially, there's, there's some blue ridings up there. Riding a Thompson, I think, is going to go back to the NDP. Uh, provincially, don't want to get mixed up. I'm looking at what's going on in Winnipeg, specifically downtown Winnipeg. The federal New Democrats, we know, are a hurting unit. They got one seat in uh, Winnipeg, Daniel Blakey and Elmo Transcona. Blakey only won by a handful over Lawrence Towit, another conservative incumbent MP. Towit's back for the rematch. How, if, if the NDP can do well in Transcona, and they may, great. Then there's the downtown Winnipeg seats. That's where Wab Canoe's running in Fort Rouge and uh, other downtown provincial seats. That's where liberals want to hold Winnipeg Center, Winnipeg South Center. I wonder if New Democrats can federally... I know I'm bouncing around here. Yeah. Federally can do something well, there. We'll get a hint to that, I think, with the provincial election. Stay tuned. We will certainly keep a close eye on it. David, thank you so much for joining us. And Curtis, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for having me. That's all the time we have for today. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and go to our website, thewestblock.ca. Thanks for listening.